You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. You know, church, we all know that the shortest distance between two points is what? Straight line, right? And we also know how terrible it feels when we're driving the shortest distance to a particular point, and then we see a sign that says detour, right? The detour signs are the worst. Because whenever there's a detour, it means that we have to go around an obstacle to get to our desired point. And typically, it means more waiting and more working and more inconvenience on our part. But at the end of the day, there's really no alternative option because if we want to get to the right destination, we need to accept that it's not going to be as easy as it once was and we got to put in the effort to get there, right? Well, church, this morning we're going to be taking just a brief detour, like a one-week detour, from our series on the events surrounding the end times to address a topic that I believe is of critical importance in light of the end times. You see, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because what? The days are evil. Church, how many of you would agree that things are getting pretty evil out there? We see this prevalence of evil in today's society. Would you agree? I would as well, which brings me to my next question. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why? I mean, how did we get here? Now, don't get me wrong. The presence of sin has always been around since the fall of man. But the prevalence and the acceptance of it in our present time is unprecedented. So what happened? Well, I believe the answer is in part, in part found in an Old Testament passage way back in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 11 says this, And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And so what was the result? And the people of Israel did what was evil, in the sight of the Lord. Church, we are living among a generation who's apathetic and even ignorant toward the Lord and his ways. In fact, we're living in the most biblically illiterate generation ever. And before we start picking on those on the outside, that includes those in the church as well. Most biblically illiterate ever. And as a result, we slowly transition to what used to be cultural Christianity to a culture that is hostile towards Christianity, right? And of course, sinful behavior is becoming more and more accepted and even celebrated today. And so the question is, okay, that's kind of maybe the genesis of it, but what do we do about it? Is there anything we could do about it? Well, the only way to get where we need to go is to take a detour in the direction that we're going, because obviously the direction we're going isn't working out, right? And so this detour is going to entail a little bit more waiting. It's going to entail more working. It's going to entail more inconvenience on our parts. But at the end of the day, there's really no alternative option. Because, friends, if we desire to raise a generation who knows and follows the Lord, we need to accept that it will never be as easy as it once was ever again. It won't be as easy as it once was. I've heard it said if it was going to be easy to raise kids, it never would have started with something called labor. I don't know what that's like, but anyway. But yes, it will be challenging. But it's a challenge that we must rise to 
because literally the welfare of our children and their children and their children depend on it. And so on this Mother's Day morning in our little detour this morning, we're actually going to look at two mothers who give us a great example on how to pass down the faith and prepare the next generation for what lies ahead. And it's through their example that we're going to be reminded of an important truth to remember, and it's really as simple as this. Faithful living leaves a faithful legacy. And so with that, I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's page 995 in your pew Bible if you don't have your own copy of Scripture. And while you're turning there, I'm going to ask God's blessing on our time uh, in his word this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to take a look at what is probably the most important topic for today, especially in light of everything that we're seeing happening in today's world, Lord. This is a topic we must take seriously, starting with the man who's preaching. And so, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts this morning, encourage our hearts, challenge our hearts, God. Help us to leave here closer and more committed to following Jesus than when we arrived, and help me to get out of the way. And I ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So 2 Timothy chapter 1. Before jumping in, let me just provide a bit of context uh, into this passage. Uh, In today's text, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who was a beloved disciple and ministry partner. And he mentions two women by name. We're going to see Lois and Eunice. And these two women were more than likely Jewish believers who came to faith in Christ during Paul's first missionary journey many years earlier when he preached in Galatia. And they were also the grandmother and mother of Timothy. And they were responsible for leading Timothy to the Lord. And so this letter came much later. Timothy was all grown up. But it's interesting. It's also worth noting that as far as we know, Timothy's father was not a believer. And so that means these women, and probably in particular Timothy's mother Eunice, had to bear the weight of raising her child in the faith alone. And while this situation, of course, is not ideal, it should provide some encouragement to any mother here who finds themselves in the same situation. You know, if that's you, I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Keep doing what you're doing because God will bless your faithfulness. And so it's with this context that we're going to read today's passage. Really, it's just today's one verse we're going to look at this morning, and it's 2 Timothy 1, 5. So let's read it, and then we'll break it down. Paul said this. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You know, church, I came across a fun fact in my studies this past week. I learned that it could take up to 15 years for an olive plant to become an olive tree. doesn't seem all that interesting to you, but it was interesting to me. And 15 years. And so then afterwards, but after it matures, their lifespan is incredible. In fact, what I found was in the Garden of Gethsemane, today, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there are 2,000-year-old olive trees that are still producing olives. Isn't that crazy? They probably don't taste very good, but 2,000-year-old olives... (laughs) Olives don't taste good anyway, but anyway, um, so, but obviously those, those roots run deep, right? Likewise, in the Mount of Olives, uh, boasts fruit-bearing trees that have lived for centuries. Now, the reason why these trees are still standing strong and producing fruit is because when they were saplings, they were carefully nurtured so that they would remain productive. 
Well, church, in the same way, we need to carefully nurture the next generation so that they might yield a productive and God-honoring life. And it all begins, it all begins by making sure that we are yielding a productive, God-honoring life. So found within today's text are four principles for faithful living. Let's begin by looking at the first, and it's this. Your faith must be personal. Must be personal. Look again at at the only verse, verse 5. I'm reminded of that, your faith. And then he goes on to say, your grandmother's faith and your mother's faith, your faith. You know, like many people who have multiple siblings, growing up I was the recipient of hand-me-downs. Can anybody relate to hand-me-downs? Yep. Uh, after my older brother would wear, wore out or grew out of his clothing, I was next in line to wear whatever it is he was wearing. And it wasn't really until my high school years that I got to get new clothes to call my own. And that's mostly because my brother and I started growing in opposite directions. You know what I'm saying? One grew tall, one grew whoop, you know what I'm saying? So I had to get new clothes. But you know, church, there are, there are many people who are still wearing hand-me-down faith. Hand-me-down faith. You see, they believe something to be true because it was handed down to them by their family and friends, their pastor, their traditions, whatever it might be. But they never really made their faith their own. You see, they believe true information about Jesus, but they've never personally believed in Jesus. Friends, well before you could pass on the faith, you need to have a personal faith to pass on. You need to have a faith that's your own. You see, Paul begins by complimenting Timothy on his faith, a faith that was indeed passed down and was influenced by Lois and Eunice, of course, but it was Timothy's faith. You see, just as Lois had her own faith and just as Eunice had her own faith in Christ, their faith prompted Timothy to have his own faith in Christ. Just like Samuel this morning, his parents passed down the faith, amen, but he owned it. Same with Alexis, right? She owned it. Which, by the way, praise God for our baptisms this morning. Amen. Let's let's just get more of those coming. Keep them coming. But church, this is an important distinction to make and for several reasons. You see, obviously you can't pass on a faith that is not your own. But listen, even more importantly, you cannot be saved by a faith that is not your own. You see, in fact, this whole process for leaving a faithful legacy is an exercise in futility if you haven't personally placed your faith in Christ. And so what does this mean? Friends, the Bible teaches that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. But the problem is that our sin separates us from him. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, sin has created a chasm between us and God. We sang about that earlier. And what happens is we deceive ourselves into thinking that maybe our good works or our religion or philosophy or morality can somehow save us. We trick ourselves into believing that, man, if my good outweighs my bad and I'm not as bad as Hitler, I'll get to heaven when I die. That's how, that's how I used to think. My good outweighs my bad. I'm in good shape. But you see, despite our best efforts, there's nothing we can do to bridge the gap 
Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to what? Death. You know, it seems right that if we put in the work of doing good, that maybe God will reward us with heaven. It seems right, but that end is death. In other words, left to our own devices, we're destined to go to hell for eternity. That's, that's the destination. But friends, the good news is that God in his love provided you and me a remedy. You see, Jesus is the answer, the only answer to the problem of sin. He paid the penalty for your sin and mine so that we might have the opportunity to be saved. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, he was righteous for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God. And see, the only way to make peace with God is through Jesus Christ. And he extends his hand of peace to anyone willing to grab it. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so I'm just going to ask before we even move forward, what about you? Have you come to a place where you've personally received Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, I want to encourage you for the sake of your own soul, not to put it off. Make that decision today. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And friend, you can personally own and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now, just by admitting, just in the quietness of your seat before God, admitting that you're a sinner, believe that Christ died for your sins, and ask for his forgiveness and trust in him and him alone for your salvation. In fact, it's only when you're saved by faith in Christ that you could, you could start living by faith and passing down the faith for Christ. You need to be saved in order to get this thing right. I love what Galatians 2.20 says. I think, I think this kind of encapsulates what it means to own your faith. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, for those of us who have a faith that is our own, which is presumably most in this room, the next vital step is making sure that our faith is shown. And that brings us to the second principle for faithful living. Your faith must be perceptible. Not just personal, but perceptible. It needs to be seen. Look at verse 5 again. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. You know, stories told of a police officer who pulled the driver aside and asked for his license and registration. What's wrong, officer, the driver asked. I didn't go through any red lights, and I certainly wasn't speeding. No, you weren't, said the officer, but I saw you waving your fist as you swerved around the lady driving in the left lane. And I further observed your flushed and angry face when you shouted at the driver in the Hummer who cut you off. And how you pounded your steering wheel when the traffic came to a stop near the bridge. Was that a crime, officer, the driver asked. And the officer replied, no, but when I saw the Jesus loves you and so do I bumper sticker on the car, I figured this car had to be stolen. <laughs> we laugh, right? But check this out, church. It's one thing to say we're followers of Christ, right? But it's a whole other thing to live like we're followers of Christ. The word that Paul used for sincere literally means unhypocritical. 
And so in this context, Paul is remembering Timothy and Lois and Eunice for having an unfeigned, unhypocritical, genuine faith. A faith that is clearly perceptible. And it's the type of faith that is needed if we're going to leave a faithful legacy. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, just to be clear, there is a difference. Because I don't want you sitting there feeling all guilty. There is a difference between missing the mark in our faith, which we all do, and we will all continue to do until we're in glory, versus living in blatant hypocrisy. There's a difference. You see, there are many professed Christians who act one way in this room on a Sunday morning and live a completely different way Monday through Saturday. That's blatant hypocrisy. Titus 1.16 says, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. You see, Timothy was not one of these people, and neither was Lois nor Eunice. When Paul wrote a faith that, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, that word dwelt means to inhabit or be infixed. It gives out this idea of a, of a faith that has permanent residency in your life. You see, faith wasn't merely a part of Lois and Eunice's life. It was weaved into every part of their lives. In other words, they wore their faith on their sleeve. And their example carried over into the life of Timothy. So church, all this to say, none of us will ever be perfect in our faith. But we do need to be consistent and genuine in our faith. Those who observe our lives, especially our children, ought to know that we're the real deal, even when we mess up. Because part of being the real deal is when you mess up, not if, but when you mess up, you seek forgiveness even from your kids. That's being the real deal. It's not living sinless. It's just being real and asking for forgiveness when, you, when you've messed up. You see, how we live Monday through Saturday shouldn't be a stumbling block to their spiritual growth. Ephesians 6.4 gives a practical example. It says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. It's a good reminder from Paul. This leads us to the third principle for faithful living. Your faith must be practical. Practical. What does that mean? Well, look again. Actually, we're going to look at 2 Timothy 3.15. Excuse me, you don't have to turn there. I have it on the screen. This is 2 Timothy 3.15. Paul says, and how from childhood, remember he's writing to Timothy, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, a story is told of a little girl who was sitting and watching her mother do the dishes in the kitchen sink. And she suddenly noticed that her mother has several strands of white hair sticking out in contrast to her brunette hair. And she looked at her mother and asked inquisitively, Mommy, why are some of your hairs white? And her mother replied, Well, every time you do something wrong or disobey me, one of my hairs turns white. And the little girl thought about this revelation for a while, and then she asked, Mommy, how come all of Grandma's hairs are white? (laughs) Church, there's no doubt about it. Passing on the faith is going to cause some wear and tear, probably on your hair. You might get white hair like me. You might lose your hair. 
But nevertheless, it's worth the battle scars. So here in this verse, we learn that Lois and Eunice began teaching Timothy about the Lord at a very young age from childhood. And that gives us a great example to follow. In fact, research has shown that between the ages of 4 to 14, a child's spiritual window is most open. Those are some very critical years. Which is why we need to be very intentional about developing healthy spiritual habits and rhythms early on in their childhood. Now, you might be wondering what this looks like on a practical level. And, uh, and I'll be honest, there's no like one answer to it, but Scripture does give us some ideas and points us in the right direction. And what I'd like you to do is turn uh, to Deuteronomy. It's way back in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is page 151 in your pew Bible. I want you to turn there. Uh, if it's in your Bible, again, I'm not omniscient, no clue what page it's on, but it's the fifth book uh, in the Bible there. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. And it reads this. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, church, one of the reasons why the ancient Jews were so successful at making a faith an integral part of their lives is because it was literally life-oriented. They used the context of everyday life to teach about God. It wasn't just something they did on a Sunday morning. Well, church, the same principles apply to you and I today if we want to mirror their success. And for us, this would include things like regular Bible reading and prayer and scripture memory, attending church services, Bible studies, prayer meetings, children's programs, and so forth. That's all good, right? But it also means bringing God into the everyday moments of our life. Like those crazy moments when you're getting the kids ready for school. And you're about to lose your salvation because you're going so crazy, right? which you can't lose, by the way. That was a joke. But you're trying, to, you're trying to bring your kids along, and it's in those crazy moments you want to pray with them. You know, that If you're driving your kids to school, you're using those opportunities to pray and interact with them. You're taking them to soccer or karate or whatever it is you take your kids to, and you're using those as opportunities to pour into your kids. When you're sitting around the dinner table, Asking your kids, hey, what has God done in your life today? How can I be praying for you? You know, stuff like that, bringing God into the daily moments of your life. How many of you have seen the movie Remember the Titans? Great movie, right? Well, in the movie, there's a now famous quote which says, Attitude reflects leadership, Captain. And the idea behind this sentiment is that a good or bad attitude comes from the top down. Friends, the reality is our children will mimic what we model. Therefore, we need to model in us what we desire for them. If we desire to pass down the faith, then we must model what passing down the faith looks like. Clearly, Lois and Eunice served as a godly role model to Timothy, and the results speak for themselves. And this leads us to the fourth principle for faithful living, and it's this. Your faithfulness will be profitable. It's going to pay off. One way or another, it's going to pay off. Back to 2 Timothy 
Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. It's not like, oh, I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's a good guy. It's not like one of those, I'm sure. It's, no, I'm sure it dwells in you. Like Paul knows Timothy very, very well. And he's saying, I know it dwells in you. What happened, the way Lois and Eunice brought you up, man, you've, you've grabbed a hold of it, you've owned it, and it is dwelling in you. It has permanent residency in you as well. Stories told of a teacher who gave her class of second graders a lesson on the magnet and how it works. And so, and what it does in the whole nine yards. And so the next day, in a written test, she included the question that says, my full name has six letters. The first one is M. I pick things up. What am I? When the test papers were turned in, the teacher was astonished to find that the majority of students answered the question with the word mother. Some of you get that later. Church, the moral of the story is that not only do children watch us more than we think they do, they remember what we do. Therefore, we shouldn't grow weary in faithful living, even if we don't see immediate results. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, undoubtedly, this verse served as motivation for Lois and Eunice as they raised Timothy in the faith, and he grew up to become an incredible man of God. But I just want to be clear on something. This verse does not guarantee that your children will never go astray. Remember, it is on them to take ownership of their faith. It's not on you to take ownership of their faith. It's on them to take their own ownership of the faith you pour into them. You can't do it for them. However, the general principle of this verse is that when we commit to the hard work of directing our children on the right path, they're going to remember that. Even when they're astray, they're going to remember that. And by God's grace, when they're older, they'll agree that it's the right path as well. Now, some of you might be, might be sitting here this morning and feeling like maybe a bit guilty Maybe your kids are older and maybe you feel a little bit guilty about how you raised your kids or, or perhaps you're, you're bearing the weight of a wayward child. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, number one, don't get down on yourself and don't ever give up on them. You may not be able to change the actions of the past, but you can change your actions moving forward. And God is just, we serve a God of countless second chances. And when it comes to a wayward child, God is still very much in the business of bringing wayward children back home. That's what he does best. I love, I love this little verse in Jeremiah 3.22. It says this, My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me, and I will hear, heal your wayward hearts. I love that. Heal your wayward hearts. Yes, we're coming, the people reply, for you are the Lord our God. Church, this just reminds me that as long as you're still breathing and they're still breathing, God could have a breakthrough, amen? So let's just keep praying for them. Can we do that? There may be nothing else you can do but pray. And I can't tell you how many people are, 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 are how many amazing brothers and sisters in Christ are standing strong today because their mothers prayed for them and wouldn't stop.
until they saw some kind of results. So don't ever give up praying for your kids. That includes mothers, fathers, everybody, grandmothers, grandpa, everybody. But I'm just saying the general principle is maybe they're out of the house and there's nothing else you could do, but man, you could pray. And you know what? We have a God that turns his ears to his children when we pray, doesn't he? And so we could trust him with that. So church, all this to say, if you are a grandparent or a parent, I implore you to teach your children and grandchildren to honor the Lord as holy. Teach them to value and and celebrate the differences between male and female. Teach them to respect those in authority. Teach them that moral absolutes do exist and that there's a clear distinction between right and wrong. Teach them that they don't have to accept, accept somebody else's supposed truth instead of the actual truth. Teach them that every life matters and that every life should be valued. Teach them that they are loved deeply by the Lord, so much so that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for them and give them eternal life. Teach them to engage in a church that preaches the unchanging, unfiltered truth of God's word. Teach them that even though the world is ever-changing, that Jesus Christ, their Savior, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Teach them that when they're feeling weary or burdened, that Jesus will always be there to give them rest. And teach them that he will also always be there to give them strength. Teach them. Because a life that abides in Christ will always bear good fruit. Amen? And if we desire to to see a return of any kind of sanity, I mean, I would be okay with just like a little bit of sanity in our society right now. If we just want to get that little bit of sanity back, I believe it must begin with an unwavering commitment to Jesus Christ in the home and in the church. And when enough children are raised in the truth, truth will prevail. Because as we've seen in today's passage, it only takes one generation to make a difference, doesn't it? And so let us be that generation. How about it? And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. Faithful living leaves a faithful legacy. Friends, whatever it is we're doing, we got we to detour. We got to take the harder approach to raising our kids, but we could do it because God's equipped us with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we're going to do this thing. We got to figure out what works in our context and in our families and get to the hard work of doing it. And by the way, when it gets really hard and when, it gets, when you get really burdened or heavy laden, that's why the church family exists. We're here to do this thing together. Amen? I'm going to invite the praise team forward. We're going to pray. Come on forward, guys. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open up your word on this Mother's Day morning. And and God, just be reminded, man, I was so reminded and challenged just as I was looking at these verses of the importance of of passing down the faith to, to our kiddos and to the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. Lord, as, even as we're, as we're looking at end times stuff and all the things that are coming our way, Lord, this is the way to prepare the next generation. God, help us because we are, we are weary and we are burdened and this is not an easy task. But Lord, I thank you for every single parent that is in this room right now that instead of staying home, they said, you know what? No, I'm coming to church. I'm bringing my kids with me because this matters. God, give them the strength to raise their children up in the way that they should go. And may they see, as they get older, their children not departing from the faith. We commit them to your care in any wayward child that is represented in this room today. Father, bring them back home. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring them back home. 
And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com. Thank you.